0: Chapter 4, we're diving right in this morning. We're, di- we're jumping in, it's going to be great. Oh, I love being in church. I love being here. It's, uh, it's good to see you all, and I'm just excited about what God is doing in, in this body, in this community, and uh, we've got some great things coming up. In fact, you don't want to forget, you want to mark your calendars, write it down somewhere, uh, put it in your phone next Sunday. You want to make sure that you're here. Next Sunday, March 8th, is Vision Sunday. Dun, da, da. Um, <laughs> we're going to share, we're going to take the time for, uh, Sunday morning to just talk about what God is doing, uh, what, the things that He's speaking, speaking to me um, about the, the direction He's leading us this next year. We've been in prayer with our leadership team, uh, with our pastoral staff, and there's some things that we believe God is specifically putting on our heart for the, this next year. Aside from the fact, there's probably more than a few of you who were kind of wondering, okay, so th- you're the new pastor, you're here, we're kind of settled in. Uh, what's next? Right? Anyone wondered that? Kind of like, what's going to happen next? No one? You guys are all just settled? You guys are awesome. I've been wondering, and I'm him. So um, this will give us an opportunity for you to hear a little bit more of my heart, where I feel like the Lord's leading us as a church, uh, at least in this next season. Uh, through this next year, so you don't want to miss it. Make sure to be here for that. It's just our regular Sunday morning. Invite a friend to be a part of that. It would be a great place for, for uh, folks who are new to the church to even hear about what, what, where we're going, right? You always kind of know, where are we going? Is this going somewhere? What's, what's the deal? So be a part of that next week. So we are in week four of a series called The Kingdom Way. Uh, this is the final message in a four-week series the kingdom way. We started out in week one talking about the fact that God wants us to be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ, right? That in Romans chapter 8, He says that all things work together for the good of those who are called, right? And loved loved by God. That He turns every situation that there's nothing lost to Him, that He works it all for good in our lives. Not just so we can have a better life, but that ultimately we become conformed and we look more like His Son, Jesus. We we'll also talked in the next week about authority, that there's kingdom authority, that we're a part of a kingdom, not a democracy, that we have a king and that He is a good king and that this good king wants us to live under His authority and that ultimately He is the one that needs to call the shots. Right? I, I finished that message asking the question, Who's calling the shots in your life? Who's in control? Is it you or is it him? And because we live uh, under authority, because we're part of a kingdom, that we re- relinquish that control. The good thing is, is that he is a good king. And so we can trust him with our lives. In fact, I would made the statement that God is more committed to your transformation than even you are. And that there's something about the tension in our lives about how we struggle and wrestle uh, with things I mean, I I know there's been seasons where I'm like, Lord, I'm repenting for this thing again and again and again. And I'm so thankful that He's more committed to my transformation than I am because I would have given up a long time ago. But knowing that He is committed to me, but I have to come under His authority. And then last week, talked about the agape love of God. The unconditional love of God. It was the love... That, that brought Jesus from heaven to earth. And I need to make a clarifying statement. Someone asked me about something I said last week, and so if, if you heard this and you were like, what? I made the statement that Jesus gave up his deity when he came to earth. Um, I was excited and I got ahead of myself. I even heard myself say it, and then I came back and I was like, wait a minute, that's not what we believe. Jesus left heaven to come to earth, but he never stopped being God. So if, you, if there was something about that you were like, wait a minute, what does that mean? I wanted to make sure to clarify it. It also means that sometimes I make mistakes. It just happens. So you're, feel free to call me on it. I'm okay with that. I'm not offended. Uh, but just so that, that we're all on the same page. Jesus never stopped being God. Well, what my heart was is that he did leave a very comfortable place to come to our rescue. Okay? Amen. All right, the agape love of God. And that, that place is important. We talked about how place is valuable, place is important to us, and it's important to God. And that he has prepared a place for us here on earth called the church. That this place is an expression of his kingdom now. Now there's a future kingdom that we will be a part of, that we are joint heirs of with Jesus Christ. But right now in this place that we are, uh, at the church, or the expression of that, and I made this statement, that, a co- that the church is a covenant community that actively and consistently displays the agape love of God. We are a covenant community that actively and consistently displays the agape love of God. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to be. All right. Well... Let's go there. Moments in, there are moments in history, so we're segueing. recap is over. I do want to encourage you, if you've missed any of the sermons, these first three messages, listen to them online, they're available on the podcast. I encourage you, and you'll hear why in a minute. It's really important that, that we get all, three, uh, all four of these messages uh, kind of in our hearts for this next season. So there have been moments throughout history um, you can read history books. Any history nuts? Anyone just love history? Um, I, there's parts of history I love. I grew up uh, hearing about World War II, reading about World War II uh, a lot, and uh, I, I love reading. I love movies about World War II. There was a, a series that came out called The World at War. It was like, you know, like 15 DVDs or something. Watched them all. Thoroughly fascinated, I think pro- partly it was just because my grandfather's stories and I had a teacher in school that would, uh, would read to us about the Battle of Britain and, and it just kind of got in me and I was just really fascinated. There's these seasons in history where people and nations and, and, uh, and, and groups have rallied to a certain cause and it's been amazing to watch. It's been absolutely phenomenal to see. Um, one of those, like I said, that really sticks out and there's probably a bunch, I think after 9-11... There was a, a period right after 9-11 where our nation rallied, right? Our churches were full of people that were praying. And there was this resolve as a nation that this, this, this is not okay. We're going to stand together. We're Americans. You know, and it was just, you guys remember that? And there was just this groundswell of, of, of support for our nation. World War II was one of those moments. It was one of those moments in world history where not just a group of people and not just a nation but nations came together to stand against the, the, the forces of evil, the forces of darkness, as the Axis powers try to take over the world, to bring rule, to eradicate, eradicate certain people groups. There were events that unfolded. There were speeches that were given. FDR, after the attack on Pearl Harbor on uh, December 8th, the day after he gave a speech to Congress and, and declared war, Uh, on Germany and Japan, and he said this in, in that speech. He made this statement, with confidence in our armed forces, with the unbounding determination of our people, we will gain the inevitable triumph, so help us, God. And our nation rallied. Our nation rallied probably like never before. Winston Churchill, the Prime Minister of Britain at the time, there were two speeches that he gave the blood toil, tears, and sweat speech. He said this I feel sure that our cause will not be suffered to fail among men. At this time, I feel entitled to claim the aid of all and say, Come, let us go forward together with our united strength. Amazing words. And then his We Shall Fight on the Beaches speech. He says, we shall go to the end, we shall fight in France, we shall fight on the seas and oceans, we shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air, we shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be, we shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight in the fields and in the streets, we shall fight in the hills, we shall never surrender. Oh, that speech, and of course, with his amazing voice and amazing accent and the power and the authority that he gave that, that not just a nation, but the world rallied. The world rallied. There were posters like this that were generated, and you know some would say were propaganda, but they were tools that were used to cause the people to step up. This, this poster is iconic. Uh, as I was studying and researching and looking up, there were literally hundreds of posters that were produced along those lines. But this one... This one is iconic. You, you all recognize it. You've seen it before. We can do it. In a season and a time where women did not go into the workplace, especially in an industrial type job, that, that everyone from children to, to adults, everyone had a part to play. We were salvaging scrap metal. Kids, right, you've seen the, the pictures of kids pulling old carts, picking up tin cans and salvaging metal. We were conserving, buying uh, war bonds, and there, there was just this, this as a nation, we just stepped up, and even around the world, nations had stepped up and said, We've got to do something. And they rallied around a cause. In one area of production, I was, again, in reading all of this, there were so many numbers and so much to wrap your head around. And it's also that, you know, you, you start reading something on the web, and then you've been there for four hours, and you're like, Okay, I've got to stop some point. Um, Military aircraft production in the United States. This is just one little snippet. 1939, there were 2,141 military aircraft produced in this country. 1941, just three years later, there was 19,433. 1943, two years after that, 85,898 in one year. And in 1944, 96,300. And 18 aircraft produced. There is something amazing that takes place when people rally to a cause. When they're when they're compelled, when they're moved, and 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 it is not always a disaster, a war, but we know that people, when they rally to a cause, amazing things happen, and we're able to achieve things together that we would never be able to achieve alone. When people realize that everyone has a part to play and people step up as a nation, as a community, as a church, that amazing things happen. Sometimes it's unconventional, just like this poster displays. We call on people who think, well, I can't do that. And now all of a sudden you've got housewives who are riveting airplanes together who were working in steel mills in Pennsylvania, right? Could not have done it before. And I love that it's not just an American thing. So it is pretty cool. But this, is, this exists in us because I believe God's put it in us. This is a mark of being a part of the church. That all of these things are designed to be in us. Amos chapter 3, verse 3 says this, Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? There has to be an agreement to meet somewhere. Have you ever said to someone, hey, let's grab a cup of coffee, right? Great, let's do that. And then the next questions are, what day, what time, and where? Because it's not enough for me to just say, hey, let's grab a cup of coffee. Great, then we'll... We'll be at different coffee shops at different times on different days, and we're not going to meet. We might enjoy a good cup of coffee, but we're not meeting. We have to agree to meet somewhere. And Then it goes on. It says that you, in order to walk together, you first have to meet. You have to come to a place of agreement. You have to be with each other. You have to decide on a direction, and then you have to start moving. This series is the starting point. It is the meeting point for the next year for New Community Church in, re- in regards to our teaching on Sunday morning. The things that I believe that God wants to speak to us as a congregation, the words that He will give, the Scriptures that will be shared, uh, the truths that will be unpacked in this place will all come back to these four sermons. Right? It will all come back to a place of understanding God's kingdom, that God's kingdom is a different kind of kingdom to what we understand. The realities of who he is, the kind of people that he's called us to be, the kind of church that he's called us to be, will all come back to these four weeks. And that's why I say, if you've missed any of these messages, go listen to them. You can go back and listen to them a few times if you need to. I will go back. I will reread my notes as a reminder of this was our, our meeting place as a church. It becomes an orienting place, okay God, you're moving us in a direction, even looking ahead to next Sunday. That this sermon will then tie into next week and the vision that God has for us and the things that I share at that meeting. That this is the meeting point of a journey of transformation for us individually and as a church. Philippians chapter three, verse ten through fourteen says this Paul writing, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his, uh, share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by, all mean, by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, already made me, am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus made me his own. Isn't that awesome? Brothers, I do not consider that I have already made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We are all at different places in our journey with Jesus. Some are more mature, some are less. Some have known the Lord for a long time. Some are walking in victory. Some some are still going, you know what? I need some overcoming power in in my life. I need God to break some things in me. And that's okay. See, because we're a one-size-fits-all kind of church. Because that's what God's called us to be. That there's no markers that say, hey, listen, in order to be a part of this fellowship and this body, you have to look a certain way, you have to dress a certain way, you have to act a certain way. And we believe that God is saying, you're in process, just like Paul said, I'm not there yet. And so this journey of transformation is one that we will all be on. For those that are solid in, in their faith and walking with Jesus, great. By the end of the year, you'll even be further along, praise Jesus. And for those that are struggling, you feel like you're kind of stuck in the mud and just, I can't get, I can't get any traction here, that by the end of the year, you can look back and go, look how far, far God has brought me. And that's exciting to me. You can tell I get excited, I start walking more. My wife was telling me last week, she's like, you're wearing me out. Ashley stepped on her toes last week, which is not why she's not here today, by the way. We have a sick child at home. She was really bummed. We were ready to be in the car, and, and so she, uh, she's missing being here. I'm missing her being here, but yeah, I got to step on her toes last week. and uh, I get excited about this because God gets excited about this. That He is more committed to our transformation than we are not already attained it. Press on. There will be a season of pressing on this year. There will be points where you come up against things that are hard for you to hear. And that's okay. There will be things that press on you, things that that become a, a, a challenge to your thinking, to your lifestyle. Not because they're my ideas, because God's Word his clear direction on how we're to live, what it means to be transformed. And that's okay. That means that at some point you're going to have to press on and say, you know what? I feel like I just want to quit right now. But that together we will stand that we will be shoulder to shoulder and say, God, do in us what you need to do so that you can do through us what you need to do. God is doing amazing things. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. A passage that is familiar to many. And it's true, it is true, it is true that God's Word is true. It doesn't change. That two is better than one. That we accomplish way more together than we ever do alone. That we do not serve a lone ranger God. We just don't. There is no place in Scripture where God says, hey, just go ahead and do this yourself and you don't need anyone else. The God of the universe in bodily form in Jesus Christ had a team. Jesus had a team. If there was ever anyone who who could have just done it on his own, it was Jesus and he didn't. He had a team. Two are better than one. Did A little more research on the internet this week. You've seen draft horses, the big, like the Budweiser, Clydesdale, they're called draft horses. Um, they, they're used to pull in team. I'd heard some statistics about the pulling power, and I, I always want to make sure whatever I share is accurate. Even, even on silly things, I could make up something, and for most people, they'd never even care or look it up. But I want to make sure that I, what I'm sharing is accurate. It turns out there's, there's quite a bit of research, but no real definitive stuff about... Exactly what the capacity of these horses are. Um, I was able to find on the Calgary Stampede in Canada. They have a big event every year, cows and cowboys and all cowboyish type things going on, and they do a draft horse pulling competition. Who knew? There's clubs that exist. There's people that travel the nation doing this, and uh, it's 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 pretty cool. And these ma- these horses are massive. They're massive. So here's what I discovered. One draft horse can pull about its body weight. Now, of course, horses vary in size, and of course, what you're pulling will vary. And so they actually have a whole system. You ever seen like the tractor pulls, like the big tractors that pull like a sled with weight on it? Imagine that, but just with a horse. So they have a sled that has a predetermined amount of weight on it, and then they see how, how much the horse can pull, um, and they've discovered that one horse on this sled, can pull about its body weight. For some of these horses, that's 2,500 pounds. Pretty impressive. Two horses pulling together in team can pull up to two and a half times their body weight. The record pull at the Calgary Stampede for two horses weighing in at about 5,000 pounds was 13,400 pounds. We are better together. We're better. To, horses are better together. And there's a reason they call them teams, right? It's exponential. What one person can do on their own when you bring two people together doesn't just double the capacity or the ability, it is more than double. And then with the power of the Holy Spirit, can I just tell you, it's infinite. It's infinite. That Jesus makes this bold statement. He says, ask for anything in my name by faith, it will be given to you. Holy cow. Let me ask you, what are you asking for? Maybe a better question is this. What should you be asking for? See, because there's a team that exists that we're a part of that's powerful and that God wants to do amazing things. All right, Ephesians chapter 4. And here's where we're going to land for the rest of our time this morning. If you have your Bibles turned there with me, we're going to read verses 4 through 16. We're going to unpack some, some truths out of the Word here, talk about some of the things that God's calling us to do as a church. So here we go. There is one body and one spirit. How many bodies? One body. How many spirits? One. Just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call one lord one faith one baptism one god and father of all who is over all and through all and in all the grace has been given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift therefore it says when he ascended on the high on high he, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men jumping to verse 11 and he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers who equip the saints for, work, for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is a bunch of words. That's a mouthful of words. we read that again. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to the mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, but human by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in agape in love we are to grow up in every way into him that is uh, who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped with each part uh, when each part is working pr- uh, properly makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love in agape one of my favorite passages of scripture because it paints a very clear picture of who we are as the church. It's all right here. One passage. The very first thing we see is this, that there is unity in the Godhead. There is unity in the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are three, but they are one. There is perfect unity that exists in the Godhead. And God becomes our role model in that. That for every one of us who think that we can go it alone, all we have to do is look to God and realize God doesn't even do that. That there is a unity there, there is fellowship, there is communion, there is a oneness that exists. And here's the deal, that the Godhead, all three are distinct parts. They are not the same and they serve and they have different functions. Amen? That the Father has the role of the Father, and the Son has the role of the Son, and the Spirit has the role of the Spirit. And they all do and function in different ways. There are parts of the Trinity we can't wrap our heads around, this side of heaven, and that's okay. When we get there, when we see Him face to face, we'll understand that these truths will be made known to us. And for our purposes, we can't talk a lot about it this morning. But we have to remember this, that God is three in one. There is perfect unity that exists in the Godhead, which takes away any place or any excuse or any any reason where we could say, I can do this on my own. I'm better by myself. I believe that God would say that is a lie. That is a lie. That is not true. In fact, back in Genesis, he writes, it is not good for man to be alone. Right? It is not good for man to be alone alone. There is one body and one spirit, one God, one Son, one Lord. important for us to remember. Move down a few verses, and we encounter what is known as the fivefold ministry. That there were those that were given to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers—the fivefold ministry of the church. Can I tell you though that that even that name, that there is ministry that is flowing? We have we have gotten so focused on that that the fivefold has become the place in the church especially in the west where ministry happens and everyone else is playing a supporting role that in so many churches that the congregation supports the ministry of the pastor in so many churches the the congregation says, listen, we're going to stand behind the staff of this church, whether it's teachers, apostles, prophets, evangelists, or, or the shepherd, the, the pastor. Uh, we're going to stand behind you, and we're going to support what God has called you to. That is not what this passage says. And you don't even have to read between the lines, know the Greek, unpack it fully to read it. It says it right there. He's given those roles. Why? Why? For the building up of the body of Christ, back up, I got ahead of myself, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Who are the saints? You are. So my job is to equip you for the work of the ministry. Not to do the work of the ministry myself and call you to come alongside of me. We wonder where the church has gotten ineffective, why the church is struggling in so many ways. And this is, that's a broad brush stroke. I know that it's not true for all. But I, for a season, traveled and encouraged pastors of small church churches. Our family lived in a travel trailer. We traveled up and down the West Coast. We spent time with pastors of small churches who were ready to give up. And more often than not, I saw pastors who were trying to run the ministry and people who were just coming to church on Sunday spectating. And that is not what God has called us to. That's not the kind of pastor and the kind of church I want us to be. Because we need to align ourselves with Scripture, with His kingdom, and it says that He's given these five, why? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. There's a whole myriad of questions that come out of that. We have to ask the question, then who are the shepherds, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the teachers? Because in so many churches, we call everyone pastor. And not everyone can be a pastor. There has to be the other roles. Why? Because God has given them. So we have to do a better job of identifying who are those people so that we are a balanced body, so that we are being trained up appropriately. And so we become a place where ministry flows, ministry isn't cut off, that the church isn't a dam. We are a lake, that there is an inflow and an outflow and something that happens in the midst of that. Amen? We're tracking? All right. Why all of this? First, so that we may attain the unity of faith. Unity. Unity, unity. To be in one accord. That we cannot work as a team if we are not standing with each other facing the same direction as Amos says. How can two walk together if they've not agreed to meet? How can two walk together if they've not agreed to meet? How can a church have an impact for the kingdom of God in a community if we've not agreed on what that means? What that looks like and how each one of us will play a part in causing that to happen. If there's no agreement... We're going to kind of just do the best that we have or nothing at all. And I believe that God's heart is broken by that. That that is not the kind of church. See, because agape doesn't flow through that. If we're a covenant community that's supposed to consistently display the love of God, if we don't know who we are in Him, and we haven't been trained and taught and released, that the love of God won't flow Primarily because I might not even believe that God even loves me to begin with. So we have to wrap our minds and our hearts around that. We have to attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. We have to. It's not optional for us. It is not optional for us to, as a church to sit back and, and hope that something happens that we have to strive towards unity, to being of one accord. Why? Because two is better than one. Three is better than two. I tell you what, a hundred and a hundred and fifty people who have the same heart, the same love for God, who care about each other, right? Ecclesiastes. Pity the one who falls down and doesn't have someone to help him back up. How awesome it is though, when we come together in unity as the body of Christ and we stand with each other with the love of God compelling us, not standing in judgment of each other, but spurring each other on to good deeds. Does this get you excited? Like, I feel like I could come out of my skin. Because this is, this is God's vision for His church. And He's given us what we need to accomplish what He's called us to Church, that's incredible and we get to be a part of that. Unity of the Godhead, the role of the fivefold ministry, the fact that we are all ministers, you are saints, you are ministers, that every day you wake up, you step out of your bed and you go to your workplace, you go to your school it doesn't matter where you are, that you are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that you take something with you everywhere you go that should change the world at the same time that it's changing you. We may attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The measure of the stature. I can't even remember all of those words. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Reading about these horses, who knows how they measure horses, what do they call the unit? Hands. Right. So these, these and I don't know how, you know, it's like I grew up in a country where we use the metric system, and so when people started talking about feet, I was like, it literally confused me. I was in junior high, had just moved to the States, had never used the imperial system. I'm like feet, well how people's? I literally asked this question, people's feet are different sizes. How does that work? yeah, it was, it was an awkward moment for me in junior high. Um, I don't know what the measure is of a hand, but they figured out some standard measurement and they measure a horse and it's so many hands. These horses, these draft horses are massive. Imagine a beast that weighs 2,500 pounds. It's an animal that weighs the, like what most cars weigh. It's insane. That is stature, right? You look at that and you just go, that's um, that is stature. When we look at Jesus Christ, there is something about Him and the Godhead that we just go back and go, oh, wow. That is truly awesome. God says, yes, and I'm inviting you into it. That we can look and see there's something amazing about who God is, but we can attain to this The maturity that is the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ that he says, listen, come and be a part of me. Listen, God would never have said to us, hey, I want to conform you to the image of of my son if it was an impossible thing to do. Because God is not a liar. And he doesn't play head games with us. Amen? He doesn't play head games with us. So he says, if I want to conform you, that means it's possible for us to be conformed to the image of his son and the fullness thereof, as Paul is saying. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning or craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love. There it is again, and it just keeps coming up. Agape, agape, agape. As we grow, as we mature, as we get stronger, as we go from being infants in the faith who believe certain things just because someone said it, knowing what we believe because we've spent time with god in his word and allowed him to shape our theology and our doctrine that we've tested things that's maturity I used to have a a, a parent in uh, of one of the students in my youth group and they would come to me every week and said listen i i listen to these five different pastors every week and i don't understand this and i don't understand this and i don't understand this and i was like first of all how much time have you spent in the word of god you're just listening to men's opinions and then there were conflicting things i'm like you will be so confused go to the word and own it for yourself let god pour his word into you then you don't have to listen and say which one is right you don't have to compare you'll hear one and go that's not right amen That God gives us His Spirit and the discernment in maturity to know. Listen, that's not accurate. That's not in line with the heart of God. We're supposed to speak the truth in love and grow up in every way into, into Him, into Jesus Christ, who is the head. And He talks about the whole body held together. Every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. That's us. That is us. God's saying to us, listen, you are who you are because I made you who you are. And you are where you are in the body of Christ and you have the gifts and the abilities and the talent and the personality you have because I designed you that way so that you would be a perfect fit in the body. Not to play a passive role. Have you ever stubbed your little toe? Right? Every focus of every nerve in your body is pointed to that toe. Insignificant, not at all. In that moment, you're like, I need my toe. Without our toes, like, uh, how many of you get get out of bed in the morning and go, thank you, Jesus, for my toes? I don't, but I do know this. If I didn't have them, I would get out of bed and fall on my face. Because your toes give you the ability to balance. I'm thankful for my toes. I'm thankful for my toes. That in the body of Christ, and Paul talks about this a lot, that we are one body. Every part has a, a piece has a part to play. Everyone has a role. That no one can say that my role is more important than yours. That we are exactly where we're supposed to be. Because when we come together, we're held together, every joint, every piece doing what it's supposed to do, the body now has mobility. The body has power. The body has strength. And rather than being able to pull 5,000 pounds, we can pull 10,000 pounds, 50,000 pounds, a million pounds. Because we're working as one. If there's one area where the enemy wants to, to tear the church down, it's in the area of unity, because if we're fighting with each other, we won't have an impact in the world. Amen. And so we have to know that we have a place. Have five things, five agreements. They're not points. they're not points to my message. How can two walk together if they've not agreed five agreements that I'm inviting you into. We look towards the future as we look towards what God has for us as individuals and as a church. We look towards next Sunday, Envision Sunday, for us to understand that what's said next week is based in what I'm about to say right here. Here's what I'm asking us to agree to as a church. Number one is this, that we would never settle Individually and corporately, that we would never get to a place where we just say this is good enough. I'm okay with the way I am. I'm okay with what's going on here. Hey, we've reached a certain size as a church. and That's good. That's comfortable. That we would press on as a church and never settle and say, God, have your way. There's always more to do. There's always more people to reach. There's always more transformation that needs to happen and that we would never, ever settle that we would be a church that's ready to take ground for the kingdom. Again, starting here in our own lives but then thinking about the world and thinking about reaching the lost. Second thing is this, that we would agree to recognize that we are all called to the ministry. I do not want to pastor a spectator church. I'll just tell you right up front. And If you're okay with being a spectator, my goal, my desire is that you would feel so uncomfortable here. And not in a bad way, but I think sometimes feeling a little uncomfortable spurs us on. It helps us get on our feet and start moving. Right? Re- heard on the radio this morning, they just discovered breakthrough study makes me laugh. That they've discovered that you can there's so there's such a thing as too little sleep, and most of us would go amen to that. But then they go there's so much is there such a thing as too much sleep as well? And I would argue with that one. Um, they they have discovered now that the ideal is between seven and nine hours of sleep a night. And I'm like I've been t- I've been taught that since I was a kid. That's nothing new, right? Eight hours of sleep. That's what you need. So I'm like nothing nothing new. We're all called to the ministry. We are all called to the ministry. That you are ministers. Say, I am a minister. Look at the person next to you and say, you are a minister. Now listen, if they didn't say with conviction, and jab them with an elbow just gently, not too hard. Say, come on. Come on. We are ministers. And that your role is important to the life of this body to this expression of God's body here on earth, but to the larger body as well. Amen? All right. Number three is this, that we keep growing in our faith and knowledge of Christ. Paul just talked about that. That we keep growing in our faith and in our knowledge of of Christ. That's kind of along the same lines as that settling. But there's something very specific here. That you press into who Jesus is and understanding who He is not just on Sunday mornings. This is where the journaling, the solid life journal comes into play. You have to do the work. You have to mine the gold. Right? You have to do the work. Don't stop growing. That we would agree, number four, that we are to be transformed into the fullness of Christ. That as a body that we would agree that we have to be transformed into the fullness of Christ, which gives us permission to encourage each other in love. Because a healthy body is a healing body. We can't bring healing to things that we just ignore. This is not a call to the principal's office. You're going to get punished. This is brothers and sisters living in unity, encouraging each other on in the faith. This is David and Jonathan saying, listen, I got your back, which means I'm going to call you on your stuff sometimes. Amen? That we keep being pressing in to being transformed into the fullness of Christ. And number five is this, that we all take an active part in serving the body. This is not me saying, hey, we need more volunteers. I think that term, volunteer, for what? You're not a volunteer. There are no volunteers in this church. We are members. Not because of a piece of paper. This is my arm. It is a member of my body. And if I lose my arm for some reason, my whole body suffers. My arm is not a voluntary part of my body. You are not volunteers, you are members, and God is saying you are here for a reason, and if you're not walking out what that is, the body suffers. Take part in serving the body. If you're not actively serving, find out where it is. If you don't know how to serve, where to serve, what to serve, if you ask someone, come talk to me. I'll tell you what, sitting with our staff, and i got half a dozen places right off the top of my head that I could direct you to. But it's not just about putting people in plugs or slots or, or holes. It's about saying, God, you know what? You have a perfect place for each one to serve. Why? Because the fivefold ministry, we're supposed to equip you for the work of the ministry. And it'll happen here first. Serve the body. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward. uh, those that are serving communion. As they do, I want to read. We're going to take communion together this morning. Psalm 133 says this, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down the beard of down the, On the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the, the collar of his robes, it is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the life, uh, commanded the blessing, life forevermore. There are pictures and there are analogies in there that we might not understand. The oil is a beautiful thing, the dew in the morning is a beautiful thing. Psalm is saying how beautiful it is when the brothers dwell in unity. That when we stand together that God looks at it and He goes, that is gorgeous. I love that. I want that. That is my desire for you. Love that. He says, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing. When we are united, church, there's blessing and there is life. We have to be committed as a church to each other and say, I will be united with God and I will be united with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I will fight for that unity. I will fight, I will fight, I will fight for the unity. I won't fight with people, I will fight for people. I won't fight with people, I will fight for people. Why? Because God's fighting for us standing with us. Can we stand together? There is no more fitting way than to finish this morning than in communion. That what Jesus did and what we celebrate in communion, what Jesus did on the cross for us was done so that we would be and have the ability to be in unity with Him. So this morning we get to partake of the bread and the cup. We get to declare, we de- get to declare together in unity how awesome our Lord and Savior is. We have a table at the front and a table at the back. I'm going to invite you, come receive the elements and then bring them back to your seat. And then we will partake together in just a minute. Go ahead.